I mean, I, I don't even know how a podcast works. Hello, everybody. We are the uh, Uncultured Saints for, I think this is the fifth time that we've done this. So chances are it's probably the very first time that you've heard this. Uh, but that's good because we, we're moving on with the uh, same thing for five times in a row because Basha Goodman <laughs> just wants to beat this dead horse. I love uh, beating until, a dead horse. Until everyone is so bored of talking about Original Sin. But that they stop that they stop listening to us. <laughs> last one, so, I promise. <laughs> last one, last one until the next one. Tune in. So, <laughs> uh, so yes, we are the Uncultured Saints. I am uh, Pastor Eli Leitzow in uh, Wheat Ridge, Colorado, and uh, my cohort here is Pastor Goodman, somewhere in the middle of Texas, San Antonio. San Antonio. It's hot here. <laughs> it's so hot. So, so okay. So what are we gonna do? Um, we're, we're going to recognize that um, because we are beating this dead horse, uh, there's a right way and a wrong way to beat a dead horse. Um, our, our confessions say... Huh? No, this is, this is so good. Um, I'm going to jump right into this. Uh, for terms and expressions, it is best and safest to use and retain the form and sound words used about this article in the Holy Scriptures and the above-mentioned books. Um, in other words, um, when we talk about anything, be it original sin or anything else, we actually use Bible words. We actually use the words from our catechism, from our Book of Concord. We use the words that have been given to us before. Um, well, beware! On, hold on, just one second there. Let me let me jump in because you just said we we use the words that our Lord gave us. We use the words of Scripture, and then you said we use the words of the catechism and the Book of Concord. And can't somebody then argue? Wait a minute, those aren't the exact words of Scripture, Pastor Goodman. Why would we use those words? Right, which is also why we would do away with the word Trinity, because it's not in the Bible. Um, I'm okay so with that. here's the thing. If I tell you that there is a bird that, um, I don't know, likes bread and says quack and swims in a pond, you know I'm talking about a duck. But when our church collectively agrees that we'll use the word duck to describe bird that swims in pond, eats bread, says quack, um, it saves us some time. In the same way, um, I know that when I say Trinity, I, I'm talking about God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are certain norms that, that our church has collectively agreed upon, um, namely the three creeds um, and Christendom. But as Lutherans, we have agreed to talk about Scripture in light of um, the Book of Concord. So I, I can then, especially when talking to, to um, people from the basis of my church, um, from the, the basis of what I believe, I can grab hold of the way that Luther talked about these things, the way that Chemnitz talked about these things, um, and, and recognize that I don't have to reinvent the wheel every single week. Um, in fact, the people who are reinventing the wheel here might be the ones you want to be careful about. Again, be, be very careful around people who have new ways of talking about this stuff apart from Scripture, apart from the way that it has been before. Uh, does that kind of make sense? But talking about things the same way is boring, Pastor Goodman, much like the liturgy. I would much <laughs> rather be at a place that changes things up every week. Right. So words have power, though, Pastor Lietzow. Um <laughs> they, they actually do mean things. And I understand that it gets boring to say I a poor, miserable sinner every single week. But it matters that I say it because it rips from my mouth the thing that's true, whether or not I want to say it. And it puts into my ears the thing that I need to hear, whether or not I want to hear it in the stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, when we are given um, the, these words that, that help us... Um, understand they're filled up with with meaning we can't just change the meaning of words and we can't just find new words because well new words mean 
new things. Is that so? No, no, I I completely agree with you. It was hopefully the audience can tell I was giving you a hard time and being completely cynical in what I was doing there. But uh, does that mean that we can never use new words or that we should just be very wary of using new words and new ways of speaking about things? So I'm not saying that we can never, ever use a word like Trinity that, that wasn't in the Bible or that we can never, ever use a, a new way of describing something that, that hasn't been described in the Book of Concord. But what I am saying is that we need to be cautious because these words do carry things. And sometimes they carry modern baggage that they didn't back at the time that it was written. So, well, just just to, to, to jump in real quick, uh, during the time of the Reformation and all of this, didn't we kind of have this being played out in church services where you would have Luther and the rest of the Reformers actually writing hymns of real substance uh, that spoke the words of Scripture? And then you had, I can't remember which one it was, was it Zwingli or was it Calvin? Uh, who, who said who said you can't uh, mm -hmm. you can't make new songs all you yeah, can do you can only sing the hymns and the that's songs it. the songs yeah that's what I meant sorry you can only sing the the psalms that's it Right. And so else. we don't want to go that far and say that you can never actually rephrase it or paraphrase it. Otherwise, we don't believe in sermons because a sermon is using modern day language to expound upon the text of Scripture. But what we are saying is that um, when when we abandon God's word as a basis for how we define things um, and we try and replace that with a, a better way so that it's less offensive or easier to stomach or anything else, we, we end up in a bad place. Um, do it with the Lord's Supper. Our Lord Jesus Christ on the night when he was betrayed took bread and after he had given thanks he broke it and said something terribly offensive. This is my body. And so our first instinct is to say, well, is can't mean is because it still just looks like a cracker. Um, so when I, when I talk about the Lord's Supper, maybe I should use something other than is. Maybe I can say this represents my body or, or this is spiritually my body. I can find a new way of talking about this so it won't offend people, right? Yeah, is, that a good way, is that a good thing to do? Well, no, obviously it's not. Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I'm hoping that's what the, the correct answer of what you were going with there. Ding, um, ding, ding. No, you're right. That's, that's the issue. Uh, a lot of heresy... Uh, would probably come into play kind of in that sort of way where you're right. not out seeking to be heretical. You're not out seeking to actually speak contrary to God's word. You're just trying to make things a little bit more palatable, a little bit easier to swallow so that uh, you don't offend X, Y, and Z. Or that X, Y, and Z actually might be your own senses or your own conscience or your own ears because when we hear... Jesus say, uh, take, eat, this is my body, we, we kind of, the natural inclination is to be like those, those people in John chapter 6 who want to just run away, because that's, that's a hard teaching. So fi find some easier words, Jesus. Right. And the problem is these words that we use in church, they have a meaning outside of the church too. Um, I, if I can say the word converted outside of uh, Protestant Christianity. It has a wildly different meaning than it does inside of a Baptist church, which is weird um, and, and might also mean that the Baptist understanding of the word converted might not be entirely accurate, that you choose to just be something else. You choose to be Christian from being unchristian. Converted is a passive word. If I am converting dollars to euros, um, the dollar has no choice in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it just it takes the action that you're placing upon it. 
Right, the false teaching, the, and, and sometimes sadly even the heresy, it comes from trying too hard to, to prove this point, too hard to make this thing palatable. Um, so we need to be careful because, uh, and, and today we, we have modern ways of doing it too. Um, not just in terms of you know what we're talking about in church at the Lord's Supper, but but even just in terms of how we're willing to, to classify sin, which is the article that we're we're beating um, continually, Pastor Lietzau. Um When we talk Snooze about fest. when we talk about sin, it's become such an offensive word in, in so many people's vocabulary that we've tried to find like sort of less offensive ways to say maybe that's not a great idea, and so we've we've come up with stuff like good and bad, but that leads into some awful awful places. Like go for it, Pastor. Well, Good and bad and good and evil have become synonymous in today's day and age. I could say bad in a sentence and I could say evil in a sent in the same sentence and nobody would really bat an eye, except maybe for the fact that I use the word evil because nobody uses that word anymore. But probably everybody would just think, oh, he's using evil in the sense of something's bad or maybe really bad. But when we have this understanding of bad and we have this understanding of good in today's day and age, one is uh, is less good than the next, right? So bad is less good than good, but then even good is less good than great, right? And, oh, but that's a problem, right? Well, it, it has to be a problem because that's not really the way in which Scripture speaks about good and evil. So when Scripture speaks about good and evil, good, we the first time we hear good is Genesis. after creation. Yeah, every single day, God sees something, and it is good. That doesn't mean that he could make it better. Right. It God made Adam out of perfect yeah. and without sin. He's like, it's, it's all right. It could, yeah, be, it's, it could be great, but could I don't be know. Great. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stay with good. No all reason right. to, to, to overachieve when I don't have to, right? That's, <laughs> that's not what he means. So on the flip side of that, the evil doesn't mean just a little bit worse than good, like it's bad, like it, it, it didn't quite get 50% on the test. No, evil is the, <laughs> the opposite of good, and good is what God says about creation when it's created perfect and good and holy and righteous. So evil's got to be the flip side of that. So even in today's day and age, uh, when we're speaking to our neighbors or our friends, uh, our classmates, when pastors are preaching, we should have an ear open for something as simple as the way that he's using the words good and bad or the ways that he's using the words good and evil. Because that, even though... Even though he may not actually be trying to diminish sin and make it less than, the word bad or, or the way in which he's using other words to describe it, their meanings necessarily will diminish sin. And that's the danger, right? Right, because the more that we diminish the sin and, and, and the idea that if we don't offend people, they'll actually stick around long enough to hear the gospel, pretty soon we rob the gospel of being anything worth listening to in the first place. Um, when, we, when we just sort of say, you know, Jesus comes to help you be less naughty, um, ultimately it, it reshapes the scriptures into something that aren't worth reading. They're just not. Um, they, they become sort of the, the subpar versions of, of Marvel movies um, because they're at least the heroes who are nice instead of naughty have explosions and modern effects and less you know graphic scenes in, in the Old Testament. There, 
but they're better than DC movies. Absolutely. Right? Nobody's contesting no. that. Those are truly bad um, in the proper evil. sense. No, I think in the proper sense they're evil. <laughs> I think they are using the biblical word evil that's they are evil the reason that the words matter so much is so that when we actually say christ was crucified for you he is given to you under bread and wine to forgive your sins because this is his body these words matter and when we start to to quibble over these words so that we don't offend so that we don't say something we don't mean to um we end up losing so much more than we ever think we gain um so when we use uh even new language that's not in the scriptures the confessions we, we're cautious in, in how we do it and so for example in, in the confessions um we talk about whether or not sin is our essence or or has just corrupted our essence and we're, we're talking about um whether or not um this this philosophical way of understanding it would would serve the scripture or or replace the scripture um everything has to serve the scriptures yeah the and that's that's the danger that that's the the danger and the natural inclination uh of us is that we want to take our reason and our logic and and we want to actually even though we may not understand it or may not want to admit it we actually want to and try to place it above Scripture so that I can say things better than Scripture is saying them. I can say things more palatable than the way Scripture is saying it. So my reason, my way of actually looking at Scripture and then taking a truth there and speaking in my own words about that truth to my neighbor, that's better than actually just speaking the words of Scripture to my neighbor. That's what we think. And therefore, our reason and our logic uh, we've placed automatically above scripture and our reason and our logic and the way that we describe things and, and all of that has to necessarily be underneath. It can't be uh, Lord, the Lord over scripture. It's got to actually use, be used to serve scripture. And if it doesn't serve scripture, then it does the opposite. If it's doing the opposite, then it's evil. And that means it's of the demons. Right. And I mean, then we can recognize that the words given in Scripture are actually given for our good. When Scripture rules over our reason, because as it turns out, God is smarter than us and we're not smarter than God, then the vocabulary God gives us in the Scriptures is given to contain our reason that has been flawed and corrupted by sin. Um, the vocabulary given in the Scriptures is to hem me in from finding clever new ways to explain it so it's not too weird for you. Okay, so I just want to go off on a tangent and, and, and rein me in if I'm going too far off base here. But this also speaks to certain denominations and, and certain churches or congregations within the what we would, I guess, what we'd call the Christian church, where we take a look at the, the Word of God and we say, okay, is Scripture, the, is it the Word of God or does it contain the Word of God? And that might sound as something that isn't important to distinguish, but it is vitally important to distinguish. Because if it is the word of God, then we're bound to use his own vocabulary and his own words in order to describe things. But if it just contains God's word, then we are at liberty to actually use our reason and our logic to then extract the true meaning of God's word and apply it to however we want to do it. That's very dangerous and it's a very slippery slope where it can be as, as simple as beginning to, to misunderstand and, and uh, misspeak about original sin. And then before you know it, decades later, uh, anything and everything under the sun is okay 
and we're just going to give you a thumbs up. Right, and it starts under a pretty rough premise, too, that either um, we're smarter than God, and so we know what he really meant, and sort of people screwed up, and also we're more powerful than God. So even though he wanted to get it across, Paul and all of his bigotry and misogyny couldn't quite put pen to paper or quill to scroll over the thing, and so we have to go in and clean it Rock up. to stone. He etched it Rock all. To That's stone. all he did. Or... Um, or, or that all of it, God just doesn't actually care all that much and wants us to just sort of figure it out on our own, which is a, a pretty awful way to raise children. Um, that, that, you know, if my kids are actually dealing with true things that, that have to do with their, their life and death, not with I'm tired of, of helping you color this picture, but but like if, if my kids are trying to figure out their prescriptions and I just say, I don't know, it's, it's medicine. You just take whatever you feel like. We'll see how it goes. Um, that, that makes me a bad dad. If, if our Heavenly Father just sort of leaves us alone down here to figure out what is true and, and right and salutary and that which isn't and damns, um, that, that says a whole lot more about him being less loving than more loving. That, that, that means that the more freedom God gives us to interpret the scriptures, the more freedom we have to condemn ourselves by doing it wrong. That makes him less loving, even though this is always done under the auspice of making God more loving. You see the weird twist here. Like, I don't want God to call things sin because it'll seem like he doesn't love, but really all he is is more and more silent about the things that are dangerous enough to damn, which makes him less loving. Correct. But that's the God we want. Because he's more, oh, because absolutely. he's more loving that way, in his inevitable damnation of sin, sin. makes you so stupid. It, it's just what it does. Sin makes you stupid. That's why God gives us this vocabulary so that He will reign in our stupid. Don't talk about it this way, dumb dumb. It's not going to help. It's going to make it worse. <laughs> that's that's a direct quote somewhere in the back of Second Chronicles. <laughs> I think it's there. Okay, so that means that since the words do matter, when we talk about this stuff philosophically, when we talk about, um, to, to continue beating my favorite dead horse today, uh, original sin, when we talk about whether or not this sin is just that which has corrupted our nature or whether or not sin is our nature, all the way that we're talking about this thing, every dead horse that I beat today, it has to serve the scriptures. And the scriptures here are, are actually very clear. Sin dwells in and corrupts our nature. Our nature is not sin. That means that going back to um, the garden when, when God shaped things and didn't say they were great but said they were good, God made things good before the fall. Is he still making stuff today? That's the real question. Or, or did he just sort of take his hand off the wheel and, and it's drifting slowly further and further away? That's one thought. I mean, seriously, that's yeah. that's one thought of, of the way that the, the world is working now. It's a dangerous... It's the easier explanation, it, though, it, isn't it? It's dangerous, but it's so much easier to explain why things look bad down Well, it's, it's the agnostics, right? And I'm way yeah. oversimplifying it, but basically the agnostics, I think every agnostic up there would, would basically say, yeah, I can't, I can't know for certain if there's a God, uh, but at the most, uh, he's, he started everything spinning and then just walked away until it stopped spinning. And that means that we're in control of everything else down here. That, that's scary. It's dangerous if that's the type of, of God that there is. So, no, he has to not— But I love it, though, because um, if, if God is not caring what's going on down here, that means that when things look bad, at least I— 
at least I don't have to try and justify a loving God and the pain down here. At least I don't have to justify the scriptures that very clearly say that we, you and me, are still God's creatures. It's not just Adam was and the rest has played itself out, but um, God knit me together in my mother's womb. And that's, um, and that's why it's so important to be able to correctly speak about original sin. Because absolutely. if God is just that guy who set the world spinning and then walked away, then I, I could say, well... Sure, I guess my sinful flesh is actually sinful, created in a sinful way, and is sinful in and of itself. And that would kind of be an okay way to go with it. I, I could explain things better, and then I could just try and be as good as possible, and that would all be fine, and, and, and it would be great. But no, we actually have to take a look at original sin and what it is, and correctly be able to describe it, to correctly be able to speak about it, because then that will actually, oddly enough, uh, on the inverse, allow us to be able to speak of who God is. So if my sin is evil, sorry, if my flesh is evil. And it is. Well, it's been corrupted, corrupted by, by evil. evil. But if it is in essence evil, ah. then God not only created evil, but still creates evil. Right. And since it's according to his will, he must want it to look like this down here, which isn't true. Either that or we go back to a little bit what we talked about last week where there is that dualism where he's not right. he's not the all-powerful, right? Right, but again, the scriptures say God knit me in my mother's womb. God took the pieces that were already broken by sin and said, you know what? I'm not done working good here. And he worked good within those pieces. And this is where, again, an understanding of what it is um, to, to have original sin really starts to matter. If original sin is just sort of that core corruption that, that is passed down um, from, from parent to child, um, that, that has continued to, to bust up creation, we can recognize that God will do one of two things with it. Um, if, if he actually doesn't like it, he'll either burn it or fix it. If, if God wants things to be this way, and that, that means he's an evil God, but if God doesn't, um, the, the first thought would be that he would just burn the whole thing. The second one is the one that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe. It's that God actually wants to fix that which sin has destroyed. God is willing to work with the broken pieces of creation that we broke, not because he wants it broken, but because he would rather redeem it. The, the Book of Concord has a wonderful quote. Um, the, the confessors write, Consider God's unspeakable goodness. God does not immediately cast from himself this corrupt, perverted, sinful material into hellfire. No, he forms and makes pr the present human nature from it, all in order that he may cleanse it from all sin sanctify and save it by his dear son. We have a God who is not happy with how things look down here, but not willing to cast you off. He hates that you suffer under the weight of sin. He hates that you yourself are stuck sinning so much that he is willing to enter this creation just to make you holy, no matter what it costs him. He is willing to bleed and die under the weight of sin to free you from it, which is the far more difficult task because he could have started over any minute just by sending you to hell. Question then. No, and I, that is, that's all should be comforting, is comforting through the, eye, uh, through the ears of the gospel. Uh, can somebody then argue, though, with that said, you said uh, God speak uh, in, uh, in unspeakable goodness doesn't just cast us out into hell, but actually creates us. C uh, can somebody make an argument that 
because we we do hear this. Maybe uh, you've said it. I think probably at some point in my life I've said it too that uh, it would be better if I was never born. It would be better right. if um, if God never created me in the first place. Can't can't some, absolutely can't that, somebody then make that argument that no, it would be um, it would be a, a greater good that that God didn't create me. I understand that because I break everything that I touch. Um, and order always seems more appealing than chaos when you're actually staring at all the damage that sin does. Um, but that's not love. Um, I can go home after we're done recording this and realize that my living room is going to be a disaster zone because I have two little kids um, with me. Um, and, and they just they destroy everything. They're, they're slobs. Um, I could have a clean house. I really could. Um, and, and I've tried to do it. Um, like we, we've we've looked at magazines with pictures of clean houses, but it actually doesn't fix anything. I could though have a very clean house. I just have to get rid of my kids, and then there would be no more Legos to step on, which which hurt like you wouldn't believe. There would be no more toys or dirty cups laying around. It would just be clean and ordered. But that's not love. Love is not locking my children out of the house and letting them starve. Love is coming home and then sitting down with them in the mess just to be with them because I would rather be with them in the mess than apart from them in some place clean. And so I can say it would be better if I was never born because I have broken everything I touch and I hurt. But my God says I would rather have you and I would rather even suffer with you and for you than have you not be here. So then, this is love, chiefly that God would give Himself into the same suffering. He would join us in it, sustain us through it, and pull us out of it. He's not apart from the mess; He's right inside of it. And with the correct understanding of original sin, then hopefully uh, we'll we'll get to that point where we actually hear that confessed in the scriptures, and and we will in time. If if it's up to Pastor Goodman, it'll be a year and a half from now. Uh, that we can hear anything of the gospel in the in the confessions. Oh, that wasn't the gospel. In the confessions, in the confessions, right? We'll 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 take forever to get to that point. But no, my point being, I don't even know what my point is anymore. I'm going to hand it over to you because I forgot it. <laughs> my my point is that nobody's happy with how it looks down here. God included, which is why He assumes our corrupt nature. It's to cleanse us from sin. Um, God's Son received our human nature without sin. He was like us. Not that he became sin, um, but that he assumed sin, that he would redeem it. So, so Christ, born of the Virgin, was born without sin. He assumed our sin. He who had no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, as the Bible verse. He was baptized into sin in the Jordan. He carried my sin, your sin, all sin to the cross, that we would be freed from it. So what's, what's the difference between uh, <clears throat> him just going and, and paying for the, uh, the punishment and him actually uh, taking the sin up upon himself? I think there is a big difference. And let's ask this. Did he also then take original sin upon himself? The difference is um, the difference between the deadbeat dad and the father. It, it's one thing to just sort of pay for your kids' um, education and have nothing to do with them. It's another thing to actually raise up your children. Um, yeah, so— God loves you. So, he's, he's not going to be far from so, you. So when the father sent his son, uh, it wasn't just so that the son in, inevitably could end up on a cross because uh, God is—God uh, the Father is, is such a maniacal— uh, individual that he has to uh, exact punishment and whippings and tortures upon somebody. 
that's that's not the way that we see uh, Christ uh, dealing with sin. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that we see Christ dealing with this sin is that yes, he doesn't just pay the the he doesn't just pay the price for it. He actually takes that sin. You were saying earlier, he he assumes that sin, our sin, not his own. So when he comes into our flesh, he does actually become one of us and he is like us in every single way except for sin. He's got no sin in and of himself and yet then he does take all of our sin upon himself and calls it his own. Right, and there we can actually justify that whole idea of a wrathful God with a loving God. And only in the cross of Christ does this make sense. Because you know what? God does have wrath over sin, like flipping tables, whipping folks, calling down fire over sin, because it hurts the people he loves. But it's God also loves those sake. people. No, it's not. It's wrath because it hurts people that he loves. If you hurt my kid, I'm going to have wrath. Um, but, but the thing is, it's not then that Jesus is sort of, you know, the subject of divine child abuse. Jesus willingly goes forth, willingly the does the Father will to be the, the scapegoat, the, the lamb that, that would carry all the sin out into the wilderness. Jesus wants to save us just as much as the Father wants to save us. And so the Father exerts, ex exacts the wrath upon the Son who willingly bears it so that the love of both the Father and the Son would be given through the Spirit in word and sacrament. So recognize that this is, is a more forceful way of talking about it than we usually do because we come up with like trite little bumper stickers that, that sort of kind of maybe talk about it in a way that's not hopefully too offensive to, you know, turn anybody off to Christianity, which we just talked about. And so we come up with sayings like, love the sinner, hate the that's sin. A, that's a great one. We hear that. It is. We hear that all the time. And I, I'm not trying to steal it, your thunder. It I'm, means well. Yeah. No, it does. Do it. I, steal my thunder. It's. It. There's something that sounds great about that, and I think to a certain extent there is something great about that. And yet, like you said, it's trite. It, there's also something when that hits your ears where it just sounds not genuine, that you're, that you're well, not— Well, because we can't do it. Well, yes. Yeah, well, yeah. Like, exactly. love the sin or hate the sin is true. God loves you and hates the sin that you do. But the best that I can come up with this is, is never actually hate the sin. It's just love the sin or ignore, or excuse, or justify the sin. Well, correct. Or, or I'm going to actually hate the sinner too, right? That's that's mm -hmm. the other side of it. I, I can't do that correctly either way. Uh, but I will I will end up hating hating my neighbor. Uh, because of the sin that he's done. Or like you said, I'm going to ignore the sin. Some, somehow, in some way, and again, this is, this is our, our misunderstanding of Scripture, not using words of Scripture uh, as God has given them to us, uh, that we see uh, Christ and his cross no longer as, as forgiveness but as permission. Well, or, or worse, as just absent, because I think that most of the time when we talk about love the sin or hate the sin, we try and talk about it completely apart from Jesus, which then divorces the words given to us from their actual meaning. Because love the sin or hate the sin isn't us, but God at work. So again, our confessions would say, sin therefore cannot be a person himself, for God receives a person into grace for Christ's sake, but God remains hostile to sin eternally. When we talk about love the sin or hate the sin, it's not something we can do but it's something that God 
has done, and is still doing. God loved the sinner. Before the foundation of the world, the Lamb was slain for sinners. But God is even now at war with the corruption worked by sin. God is at war with sin itself right now, and that he is still active to, to um, forgive, even as, as he's, has, uh, he has placed it all upon his son, Jesus Christ. When, when we talk about love the sinner, hate the sin, as if it's our job or our way of looking at things, um, ultimately we, we divorce the working of God inside of it that actually makes this thing possible. Because you know what? Well, that Jesus was put up on the cross for all to hate, I think actually means something. That, that Jesus was put upon the cross for the Father to hate, I think actually means something. When we want to talk about the difference between loving a sinner and hating sin, look to the cross of Christ to see it played out. The Son of God is, is made the object of hate and wrath, so that even now, as sin is warred against, we can be united to Jesus' resurrection. This is something that is still being played out in, in God's love, in God's mercy, because he would unite us to the victory that we have over sin. For when Christ has cried out, it is finished. The, the wrath against sin is done, but the war against it here I still see everywhere around me. And so God makes this thing manifest as he gives me his body and blood that I would be united to this victory. God is combating sin as he unites me to Jesus' death in my baptism. God is combating sin as he gives me an identity that is no longer the things that I have done in my baptism. He says, you are holy and worthy of love because you were drowned. Isn't it funny that we want to take everything and make it our own? I mean, everything you just said for the last three minutes, perfect and true and the exact way in which we want to look at it. But you started off that whole thing of saying, when we hear this uh, love the sinner, hate the sin thing, it, we automatically either we're saying it against somebody so that we're, we're trying to get mm -hmm. them to do it better or we're trying <laughs> to uh, we're trying to boost our, our ourselves and in, in our own status in front of people saying that this is how we actually do things. And inevitably, like you said, either we can't do it because we end up hating the sin, or sorry, hating the sinner, or we'll actually just not do anything with the sin. We'll just ignore it, pretend it doesn't matter, and, and, and it's okay. And we never look at it through the lens of Jesus. We never look hmm. at it as if he's the one who actually did this and accomplished this very thing. So that, like you said, from the foundation of the world, we can't even wrap our minds around that. But before anything was created, before sin even took place, uh, there's Christ, our Lamb, who takes away the sin of the world. And he loves us, loved us before the foundation of the world, loves us specifically before the foundation of the world, even in our sinful flesh that is now, as, as we, we mentioned that earlier, God is creating God is creating with this very thing because he still loves us and doesn't promise to promise to leave us in this corrupted nature of ours, but to redeem us Ooh. from. So that means that one day I won't have the corruption of sin? I think that's what it does mean. I mean, not on this earth. But I mean, in, in the resurrection, the last day, that's exactly what it means. On, on this earth, I'm, I'm, goodness, I'm a simultaneous saint and a simultaneous sinner. In my baptism, I, I don't have this corruption of sin because I am in Christ, and yet I am still in this fallen flesh that hasn't seen the, 
the, the, the perfection of everything that comes on this last day. So yes, in a sense, I guess I could say it, I, I have that right now, but not yet, but I'll have it in full at that resurrection. Um, put a bow on it, because yeah, you, you've got it. Um, like wrap up the show um, so that we can stop beating this dead horse and move on to free will. How are we, with my own free will, I say we do another week of this. Really? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> that is not touch this again at all. <laughs> <laughs> so so we've covered original sin then we are the uncultured sin. wait i thought and, i was um, wrapping this up you're, you're so you're, do it then I i'm babbling along you know the the, the the folks out there need a little bit of you know, levity after we're talking about sin and sin and sin and I bring, resurrection and, and forgiveness and life i bring one joke into this and you just shut me off man it's not like i'm george carlin i'm not gonna start cussing on air just <laughs> this is a this is a youth broadcast. <laughs> oh, I'm going off on a rant. You better keep every single last thing of this. <laughs> All right, fine. So so close it down. <laughs> I I didn't know I was closing it down. I mean, I didn't know we were, we had gotten to that part. But okay, so to to close all of this down, then, uh, and, and I think this this wraps it up. We're we're going to we're going to wrap it up today as we kind of started it because mm-hmm. we can't understand anything that we've been talking about and maybe you still can't because i don't know if i <laughs> maybe I, I i don't know if i fully understand it and i don't that's the, that's the weird thing maybe that's why we took 5 episodes to actually deal with this uh, because it is hard but we can't understand any of this stuff uh, original sin and all the consequences of original sin apart from scripture. If all we're using is our own reason and logic and strength, then we're going to mess it up somewhere along the lines. And everything that scripture says about it is going to sound weird. It's going to sound bad. It's going to sound evil. We'll think scripture actually sounds evil. We need the Holy Spirit to actually enlighten us and bring us to faith through the word and through his law and through his gospel and through scripture and Christ himself so that we can then grasp onto and understand these things that are so, so difficult. Which then means that's why it's so darn important for us to speak carefully about all of these things. It may seem like we're beating a dead horse. And it may seem that when you're speaking to your, uh, to your friend or to your classmate or whatever the case may be, they may think that you are beating a dead horse and you're just being too, I don't know, theological or too academic or whatever the case may be. But we're called to speak the truth in love, and part of that speaking the truth in love is actually being able to speak the Word of God as He puts it forward for us to speak, because only then can we grasp onto it in faith and receive Jesus. Is that enough of a bow for you? That's beautiful. A bow on a dead horse right where it belongs. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for bearing with us through original sin. What comes next, Pastor? for horse it around with us. Womp womp. <laughs> so uh, next time then. Free uh, will. Let, free be, will comes around next. Right? Or 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 that we don't have it. Or or we don't have it. Or we do have it, uh, kind of, uh, but not really. 
Let's talk about free will next time. Uh, thank you for, for being with us. We are the Uncultured Saints. Like, subscribe, rate, review, share, all that great stuff. Thank you so much for being with us. Lord bless you and keep you. Bye-bye.